Welcome to the Alien Probe Podcast. As the Pentagon's Director for Defense Intelligence and Senior Executive of the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, OUSD, Gary Reed was in charge of all counterintelligence security and law enforcement operations within the Department of Defense. This in addition to heading up the Afghanistan Crisis Action Group, the office tasked with evacuating Afghan refugees during America's withdrawal from Afghanistan. Reed was recently dismissed from his responsibilities within the U.S. government. I say recently, I don't mean recently, I mean 2020, but it's an interesting story. Welcome again, Dr. Bill. How's it going? Hey, how are you doing? So, um, he was dismissed in 2020? Yeah, this article was 2020. It's been a couple of years because he did the, uh, I believe this is two years old. No, I think this is brand new. Is it brand new? He brand wasn't new. recently dismissed, though, because he was involved in the Elizondo deal. Yeah, yeah. If you he, he, read um, later on in the article, this isn't terribly The, the investigation was in 2020. Um, yeah. The, he just he resigned, and they, they go into 2021 complaints. Um, yeah, he well, he's recently, but the story goes back a couple years with the Elizondo. the story goes back to when Elizondo was with the with this program in this department or whatever it was. I looked online yeah. to try and sort of sort out the uh, Office of Undersecretary Defense for Intelligence Security. It has a bunch of subgroupings, and the it's the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense. This is the Intelligence and Security Group or whatever it is. There's, you can't really find any information on it. And then the, except who the ultimate director is, which is mostly generals. And then there's a bunch of other um, departments underneath the office of the secretary, under secretary of defense for like supply and some other things that are on Wikipedia. But finding any other sort of depth into sort of this structure, I didn't spend a lot of time. Is I, You probably could figure it out. I was looking for a... Um, Oh, what do they call I can't remember. It's been so long. You know those charts? Organizational chart. I was looking for an organizational yeah. chart to see how this was laid out. And I didn't look very hard, but it doesn't matter. So we're going to talk about oh, yeah. that. And then we're going to talk about Flatlander, the um, documentary series on Flat Earth. Did you, did you right. want to do that? Directed by, let's do that first. Directed by Shelley Lewis. Yes. Our friend, the friend of the show, I might add. Um, Shelly and I, you know, communicate back and forth. She's been huge and uh, we're really interested in this story. I mean, you may or may not believe in Flatland Theory, but the story is interesting. The show is well, I mean, the cinematography is uh, done very well. Um I know, Bill, you've got some insight as to, or have some opinions as to some, I have questions too on, and maybe you have answers, but uh, well, I what did you think? What did you think? Uh, I thought it was very well done. I think they're taking a um, good rational approach to flat earth, the idea that the earth uh, is flat. First, let's see, let everybody know where you can find it. It's really short. It's probably 35 minutes. And mm -hmm. where is the, uh, where did we find this thing? Vimeo. You sent me the link. Vimeo. Yeah. And you, it's 99 cents to rent or $1.99 to own it, right? Yeah. And um, it's well worth, I think it's well worth, you know, the either what, whichever way you want to go with it. Um. You know, it's an interesting story, and then I would it, say for people to... If, if you're interested in the flat earth theory idea, it's worth your time to take a look at it. Um, well, there's a lot of, you know, everybody's like, yeah, it could be possible. Well, but, all right. Um, they're, so, they're, it's an investigative... It's a little bit... I don't want to say it's like Ken Walker and Oak Island, but... 
um, they do some they do some um, experiments. Yeah, to, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. And, so, well, and I, one of the points I'd like to bring up is like if you if you're sort of just an individual, you're not you know a scientist or a physicist or whatever, and you look around at your world, and uh, you can how do you tell how do you know that the earth is round or flat so um and this sort of start from that basic basic principle um i mean there's there's some simple things that you can do you can look at the moon you go well the moon is round so the earth is probably round and you say well and like the flat earthers they say well okay to account for the fact that the earth is is round it's a disc it's a flat disc with antarctica ringing the outside of the disc and we're enclosed in a dome and i guess the moon is a um you know wobbly because the moon you can't you don't just see 50 percent of the moon you can actually because of um um i can't remember what the word is but it sort of wobbles the the perillion perillion whatever the the moon you can actually see like 55 percent of the moon because it's sort of you can get a a look at the edge now you you can you always see the same side of the moon yeah right that's yeah. what's weird to me why is doesn't that don't you seem that find that unusual uh it, i mean we always it, it never to, spins yeah <laughs> um it happens it, it has to do with that's the weird. it has to do with um never moves it's always the same it has to do with gravity. that's bizarre to me it has to do Plus with gravity i think they call it being it's tidally locked so and I don't oh. I don't understand what yeah. that means. Um when I first heard about that I found that highly unusual. <laughs> well, there, there Why are, doesn't it move at all over the centuries? <laughs> well, we don't know. Well, what side maybe. Apparently when the the moon first was there's different theories about the formation. They think it came from the earth as a as a um, because of an impact and sort of spun off. Apparently the moon had the theory is or i don't know i don't know i have to read up on this up uh, the moon when it was formed early rotated and eventually it slowed down and then became tidally locked but yeah. don't don't well, take don't take my word for that that's i'm i'm remembering vague stuff dr bill said it so it must be true yes um so if you look around okay. how do you how do you know the 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 world isn't flat and I don't know. One of the I things you I, said is when you're flying, you can see the curvature of the Earth. And I've, 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 we've both flown a lot. Yeah. And you look yeah. out the window, and you can say there's a slight curvature. And the flat Earth people say that the slight curvature is due to the uh, glass in the windows of the plane. So, okay, so that that doesn't work. But if you go, you can watch a ship on the ocean sail, and um, it'll sail off to the over the horizon and gradually disappear, you know, as it sinks below the horizon. Right. So I like that one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and you can, you can say, you can look, um, I can go in my backyard and I can look at, um, I haven't done this, but you could look at, um, Mars. And I think even with a small telescope, you can look at Mars and it, you might be able to get enough resolution to tell that Mars is rotating or even Jupiter uh, because of the red spot. But I don't know. I've never, I haven't tested that myself. So I don't know if you can actually see a rotation of, um, of these planets. You have a telescope? Yeah. I have a, a, a what kind of telescope? Yeah. Is it that red one that you get when you're 14? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the one no, that can't not. focus on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always moving. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's back here. I can't. It's behind the shelf. You can't see it. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's a. It's a decent one. Um, yeah. I mean, it's. It's just. It's a small telescope. I wanted look. to get. I wanted to get one of those Celestrons where it like it locks onto something automatically. Yeah. It has a yeah. motor. Yeah. And you can tie it into your laptop or whatever. Yeah. Those are or nice. your PC or computer. And then you know they're they're I think like six eight hundred bucks something like that for a good one. 
Yeah, I always wanted to do that. I probably wouldn't be able to figure out how to do it anyway. It's a technology, you know. Hopefully, it's plug and play. <laughs> They're pretty. I think those are pretty much plug and play. I have. I don't have a lot of sky here, and because uh, of the trees, I don't either, and that's why I'm probably yeah. shouldn't get one. <laughs> Got to lose. lots of trees in the Sacramento area. Yeah, and my my sky I got trees growing up. Trees grow like uh, weeds here. I got trees growing up to block my sky. I need to cut them down. Where isn't there things you look at that are straight up? You know, solar systems and. Well, to the west, I can usually get a good view of, um, of um, like I've I've looked at uh, Saturn, and Jupiter, and you can see some of the moons of Jupiter. I've looked at Mars. Um, to the west, I got a I got a decent window, and other than that, everything's pretty much straight overhead because of the trees, or about forty five degrees overhead. Oh, really? I can look at the moon um, if it's up high enough, but the trees trees are pretty high. And the people used to go down to to the prairie near here, but they've just put in a big guardrail all along this highway for highway for some reason, so you can't park, pull off. People used to always go down to classes and stuff would go down there and set up like from the college or the high schools and, and do things with their telescopes. So I don't know why they're doing yeah. that. No, they can't. Yes. Well, there's a spot, but there's not a lot of parking. So you'd have to be pretty yeah. coordinated to do it. So the um, Flat Earth video or documentary, first episode, they went out there and they... Um, had a laser and they were looking at over at the Bonneville, Bonneville salt flats and they were looking at uh, whether or not they could see the laser over certain distances. And they did uh, increasing distances from 5, 10, 17 and a half, 25 and 35 and a half miles. And you could see the laser over that distance. And what they're saying, there's this, they're throwing out this thing with um, the curvature of the earth drops away. So if, if you think of the earth, the earth, if the earth is round and you're standing on a spot on the earth, the curvature of the earth drops away from you at eight inches per mile square. So at, um, what they're saying is at 10 miles, the drop is, so just the curve, if, if you're standing at the top of the, the globe, the drop, if you stick your hand out parallel to the earth, the earth drops away from your hand at eight inches per mile square. So at 10 miles, it's supposed to drop, it drops, this is true, it drops 140 feet. And at... Well, it's eight inches per mile and Square. ten miles. Ten miles. It's supposed to, it's ten miles. If but you're standing at the. You got to think you're standing at the top of a hill, and the hill right. drops away from you at eight inches per mile square. So if your arm is parallel to the surface, at a right angle to the surface, it drops that. So they say 140. It drops 140 feet at ten miles. And at 35 miles, it drops 700 feet. So that's true. The problem is um, they're not pointing the laser at a perfect right angle to the surface of the Earth. So that's that's what they're one of the things they're not really disclosing during the documentary. So yes, the drop it does make that drop, but only if you're perfectly per perpendicular to the surface of the Earth. And they're saying, well, we see the laser at 35 miles, and that's fine. They're putting the laser across the, you know, you know, on the surface. So they're actually pointing it the laser down, and it's not perfectly perpendicular. So if yeah, they, it's not that far down, it's not 140 feet down. That would be or 700 feet. Well, see anything it is. I mean, if you think about it in that that way. So the other way to think about it is, uh, and I looked at a bunch of different, you know people that have done calculations online. It's just irritating. Um, so at, so as a person, one of the calculations I saw was that a person, a six foot tall person can see 
another six-foot-tall person six miles away based on the curvature of the Earth. And I looked at a bunch of different calculations on what people had done and stuff, and it just got irritating. So what I did is I just did the most simple calculation that you can do, and that was a equilateral triangle in a circle. So if you take an equilateral triangle using one of the, each leg of the equilateral triangle as the radius of the Earth, and then you have the, the circle with the radius, and then you use a SAS side angle side calculator, which you can find online, and you calculate the, um, you set the, you set the legs the legs are the radius of the Earth. You set the distance between the legs. I set them at, um, I think I set them at 50 and 100 kilometers. And 50 kilometers is 31 miles and um, 100 kilometers. I did 111 kilometers. And 55.597 kilometers. So, which is 35 miles. So just doing the calculation using an equal ladder, basic, this is, this is basic high school geometry with a minor trig thrown in with the SAS calculation, which you can just go on to find a site that does that and you plug the numbers in. Yeah, there's a calculator. It's an yeah. actual calculator, yeah. curvature calculator that you just plug in well, 35 I just, miles and how well, high up you're, you're well, six feet high and all that. Well, I didn't even want to do that. I wanted this even simpler than that. So all I wanted to do is if, if I'm standing on, on the surface of the earth and I'm looking at you uh, 35 miles away, uh, basically this because of the curvature of the earth, there's a mound between us, right? It's going to We shouldn't be able to see each other, right? If that calculation well, is correct. Well, yeah, we can't. 35 we miles. Can't. So what I got is the calculation I got was um, 200 feet. At 35 Which miles. You wouldn't build a, you'd be in, you couldn't see, you're over the top, you're over yeah, the yeah. crest, right? So even pointing the laser, so I know where you are, and pointing the laser at you at 35 miles, you shouldn't be able to see the laser. But um, I looked at why some Why can it? Yeah, why can it, we see the laser? Refractory well, thing or? Well, refract, refraction from what I could tell a little bit, can account for like um and can increase these distances by five percent or eight percent or something like that so that's refraction isn't an issue so but what i did is i looked at the um laser that's my notes i looked at the laser so with a laser that has a beam spread of 0.5 uh, millirads you can calculate how big the, because a laser's same as a flashlight. You shine a flashlight, the beam spreads out, right? So I got, um, with a, a 0.5 millirad laser with beam spread at 35 miles, you have a beam that's going to be 91 feet across. And if you have a 1 millirad laser, you're going to have a beam that's 180 feet feet across. So I don't know what sort of laser they're using, but it's very plausible. The reason that they can see the laser over that distance is because the beam is spread out so far. But if the beam spreads out, how does it overcome the fact that it's over a hill, basically? A hill is in front of you. The hill is in front of yeah, you, I mean, yeah. and the beam is just, uh, you know, you're standing on the one hill and one spot yeah. and the other, and you have the hump, and you point the beam, I'm pointing the beam at the top of the hill, right? The beam is right. going to spread. It's going to get bigger as it goes. So the beam is actually going big enough so you can catch an edge of the beam. So I don't know how it can get over that. It still doesn't make sense to me how it could go. Uh, why it can't go through the, the hump. How does no, it, it goes over the... the hump. It goes over the hump because the beam is getting bigger. So it goes over and down the other way. It, it, doesn't, have to the go, other it doesn't have to go down the other side. Um, well, actually, that's a that's a good point. Um, you know, I mean, really, it just it makes no sense to me the way that okay. would work. But I don't. I mean, how do but, they see it? It's, yeah, that's it's weird. It is. So see it. my explanation is that you're actually seeing you're seeing the beam spread. So there is how far now? How 
Oh, there's smarter people yeah, than me. Thirty-five miles. Thirty-five miles. How, how? What's the drop? Did you say? It's a, not a drop. It's a hump. So you're going to have uh -huh, a mound, okay. mound bet between you and the the thing of two hundred feet. Okay. Two hundred feet. And that's the simplest calculation I could come up with for for this. What are you calculating? I'm not calculating. I'm just making a drawing. Oh, okay. Okay, so here. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, okay. Not okay. really. Yeah, okay. Okay, so here's your man. Here's 35 miles, 200 feet, right? Yeah. How does that beam? You're okay. six feet. How does it get through here? How does it get through? Uh, well, it have to go yeah. over it. It's not going to go through. Does it go over it and down? I guess. How does, find, yeah. how does it find this guy? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, mean, but it you, doesn't make sense. I mean, so what is the. I don't want to justify it. No, I, mean, I, I agree. Mean, I, you know, I agree. Like, I, it, it, and then I read about it. I, it all, everyone you read, every debunker says it's refract. Is there something about light? refraction or something is that's how the people that don't believe are explaining it yeah yeah, yeah but i I've, I've looked at all these explanations and the refraction stuff too and i agree and it um it, there's got to be a reason it doesn't or it does, they're flat or it's flat or it's or flat, it's flat. <laughs> uh, i don't think the world is flat so at this at this rise at a 200 foot bump you got it's five feet per mile so i don't know i mean it's not you're we exaggerate exaggerate the bump but at five feet yeah. per mile it's pretty pretty low slope so i don't know i don't know it depends on the slope and the it scale have to go through the hump your light has to go through the hump it doesn't go, through, go through, doesn't go through the hump um <laughs> well i know that but so yeah so i mean yeah i mean I'm, i've i've looked at all this stuff too and i agree 100 percent. the um when you look at the arguments and you look at the counter arguments uh, you run into these problems. Now, also in the movie, or in the documentary, in the first half hour, they had the guy across 10 miles, and he was showing a laser across the water. And that is makes a little more sense, because the, 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 the size of the hump increases geometrically with the distance. It doesn't increase because it's a circle. You're dealing with a circle. It doesn't increase um, linearly. So it's not like at 10 miles you got a so at 10 miles you have a 16 foot hump so a linear increase at 20 miles it would be 32 foot hump and at uh 32 48 at 30 miles but it increases faster than that because it's a circle and not a linear increase so at 10 miles you have a 16 foot hump across the water so in that one, I would definitely say that um, the beam spread, which is a linear increase, you could probably easily see at uh, 10 miles. And I don't think I calculated that. So it's 28 meters, uh, 91 feet at um, 35 miles. Uh, so it'd be 30 feet at 10 miles or um, what's three, 60 feet at, um, with a one Millered laser. So at the 10 mile example that the guy did, I could easily explain that with the beam spread of the laser. Yeah. At 35 miles, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. It's, um, yeah, it's, got, it's unexplainable to me how that could they could that could you yeah. know what I mean how yeah. they could do that yeah so but yeah. they you don't believe in refraction maybe it's like, I the, I think that know, that's the, I think that's probably what's going on but the the um I mean there are optical physicists out there that should be able to explain this in their sleep and debunk this in their sleep oh uh, this is just yeah, I'm not we, a physicist I don't know if we have. I don't know if we have too many listening, but if you're out there, please let us know. Yeah, give us an explanation. This, help, us out, hey, help us out. Help us out. How this happens. But um, I, yeah, I look on Google it, but I mean, I've Googled it. And I still haven't gotten an explanation, a reasonable explanation scientifically that convinces me. Refraction is the only thing that I could have read that even makes the smallest bit of sense. Yeah, atmospheric refraction is the only thing that makes sense. So, um, 
and it does happen. You you can yeah. look at it, but I haven't I haven't seen good explanations for it either. So when I first did this, looking at these numbers and and the stuff online and just trying to figure out what was going on with this, um, I was coming up with they were giving you all these different answers for you know how far the slope or the whatever it was and i just had to do my my the simplest calculation i could come up with which was a triangle in a circle to get the height of the hump and the height of the hump i got was uh 60.2 meters which is about 200 feet so anyway um and then they yeah. had the, and then they had the guy that was taking pictures with infrared and they were showing the mountains and stuff like that. And I didn't see, I wasn't able to, I looked at his website. I wasn't really, didn't see a lot that could help with that. But I would have liked to have seen um, sort of a better layout and analysis of his photos and with the mountains in the background and maybe the, the buildings and the beach and stuff in the foreground and and some definite geometric comparison and analysis. They showed, they flashed up a, um, you know, a differential of what they would see, but they didn't go into much explanation. Maybe they didn't want to spend a lot of time doing that. So anyway, uh, that pretty much covered. That pretty much synopsizes yeah. yeah. what, there's a second episode that's already um, Is it done the, and it'll be it? released. Um, I don't remember what her text said. A month, maybe. Okay. We'll get another uh, sec another um, segment of that, and I'm inter I'm hoping it doesn't fall into Oak Island. Ken Walker Ranch, Oak, Oak Island, Island kind of stuff. Dead. I hope frog. they give us some dead frog. Yeah, ranch. this I under this this kind of science. I although I'm not a college graduate. I understand this kind of science. Yeah, I mean, I Oak Island. Well, not Oak Island, but you know, Skinwalker is a bunch of hooey, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I've um, like you said, it's Indians yeah, wanting their land yeah, back. It's just, it's just silly. And that actually, there's some interesting stuff which I don't know if we can pull together about Skinwalker, Bigelow, um, and um, yeah, Bigelow, Harry Reid, and you know, the A tip and all that is all that. All that stuff ties together. I mean, I'm checking my notes. Just one more thing with my notes. Um, Two hundred feet. Yeah, I was just double checking. There's a simplified formula for uh, the hump, and I did it geometrically, and this this person did it al algebraically. Uh, and there's a simplified formula, and it came out the same with what I had. So at 10 miles, the hump is 16 feet. So like the guy that was using the laser across the water, he could easily explain the um, the reason he could see the laser because of the beam spread. So, um, well, I you're still running into the same problem. You're still running into the same problem. The the 10 it mile doesn't go through the hump. It does can't go through the hump. Yeah, but the, at the 10 mile. Thing, there's some interesting things you could do across the water to um, measure. You could measure the beam intensity. And there's there's physics that you can do. Um, the whole issue, I think, that you're coming with with these these optical observations on the Earth is um, it comes down to like refraction and the the, the size of the beam refraction what is the atmosphere doing and there's physicists out there that, that could explain this but basically your um their first approach of measuring you know the whether or not the earth is flat or not their their problems they're talking about my issue was they were talking about there's a 700 foot drop and they always throw that out and it's like, no, that's a 700-foot drop if you're at right angles to the surface of the Earth. That's not the best way to look at it. The better way to look at it is to look at the hump, the hump between you and the, your, your destination. And the calculated hump is 200 feet. So you want to argue the 700-foot drop, you're wasting your time. Uh, argue the 200 feet, the hump. Argue the hump. Argue the hump. The hump is still the, the hump. hump. 
no matter what we do. Yeah, argue the still hump. 200 feet. There's still a 200 foot. There's a mound. It's a 200 foot mound between the you only and... way you're going to be able to see to me. Well, I know there's a reason for it. It's probably refraction or whatever. But the way you're really list realistically based on the calculation is to be if you're six feet holding it, they hold it six eight feet high. The laser, or they point it like this, like a flashlight. I don't well, know. they're pointing it, they're, and po then, they're pointing it like a flashlight. So yeah, I mean, there's they yeah. raise some good questions, um, and uh, I don't have. I mean, you you're count you're arguing against me. I just look. I said, oh, it's it's uh, the beam spread, and you're just seeing it, and you're raising some good points. It's like you have a 200 foot hump. Yeah. It doesn't make. And sense. so, is the beam acting? You know, the beam is gliding along the surface of the hump. So Maybe. yeah, it's a good point. So somebody needs There's, to th that somebody argue, knows <laughs> that argument needs to be countered. That argument needs to be countered. Yeah. I don't have the uh, expertise to do that. I've done what I can with the knowledge that I have. I've I've pulled out my old uh, Feynman lectures, and so I'll take a look through there and see if there's something that um, might help. But I mean, that's that's as far as uh, I can go with this physics. Is you know basically one first year college physics using the Feynman lectures is, is all I can deal with. It's well, it's a good show, and uh, yeah, I definitely recommend that you, you spend thirty minutes and ninety nine cents and. Or a dollar ninety nine to buy it. And I definitely think uh, Shelley did a great job. The the rest of the characters are good. Doesn't look it's scientific. It's as scientific as you know we can be. It's simplistic things we can understand, but yet not with the hump. The hump's killing me. I don't yeah, get it. Yeah, because yeah. they were thirty five miles. And they still saw the beam. Yeah. So somebody. And, and I don't think they're faking it. I think it's real. You know, it's real. However, it's happening. It's real. It. I. I Again, I like proof. We're going to do flat Earth. We're going to need proof because their thing is again. There's an ice wall. Is it the perimeter of the Earth? That's like for those of you who've seen. Have you seen Game of Thrones? Yes. Did you watch Game of Thrones? So yes. that's like that ice wall. Basically, is what they're saying. But, yeah, but but all the way around, um, all the way around though. Yeah, the pole, the entire perimeter of the Earth has that ice wall. That's what prevents the oceans from draining off the edge, and. Whatever happens underneath the sea is fine. It could be like a bowl. So the sea doesn't have to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So they're saying that, and in the middle is all the, is all the earth and yeah. the different seas and things in there. And the, I can't remember how they explain, they'll go into all this, how they explain the, how, why the sun you know, goes up and down and this moon. Oh, in the, in the, uh, in the future episodes. Yeah. Let's see it. Let's deal yeah. with it. So, and, and, you know, I want to hear about that and, you know, we're, but they've Help. done a good job. The production done, value is good. Very it doesn't good look. And uh, anybody who yeah. can explain this, um, please help. Help us. Help us simple people understand um, the basic physics. Well, when Shel yeah, when Shelley's, when they're done with this or when they get to a certain point, I'll, maybe I'll ask her to come back on and we can, you know, talk chat with her about sure. it again yeah i'm sure you know and because i know kevin my other brother kevin your other brother did kevin. the last one with her and then we can beam we can beam her in and you know i think she's in la so yeah. we can have her call in and yeah. uh we can have her talk and have her promote the promote her the series when she's finished yeah or when, at a certain point uh it was interesting it was worth checking out i did my best to uh uh, debunk uh, Doug ruined that thank you for screwing that up for me I mean it's all my scientific background yeah, yeah. thank you uh, I, but honestly yeah you raised some good points um, and we need someone smarter than me to help explain what's going on I will I will dig into my Feynman lectures and see if there's something that can help with this yeah so, please, please so help the, me to understand. yeah help me help me mr. wizard um, Sex lies and UFOs, Pentagon's head of counterintelligence and security ousted, uh, which is an interesting article that came out in the debrief. And this guy, you did a really good introduction of this. Gary Reed, he was involved in the evacuation of Afghanistan. And apparently, as we all know, that didn't go very well. 
And I was wondering, oh. I've been at all. Yeah. I've been wondering whose head was going to roll for that. So this guy, this, this guy has been offered up as, um, uh, sacrificial, sac- lamb. sacrificial lamb for the, <laughs> the Afghanistan debacle, the withdrawal from, yeah. you know, our victory, withdrawal of our victory in Afghanistan. And now it's right back. Now it's right back to where it was 20 years ago. How did that happen? Elizondo is not a fan of this guy. (laughs) No, this is actually really interesting because when we first great article, yeah, it's a very good article. It's by Tim McMillan on the debrief. And we, when we first started talking about Elizondo, we saw those articles that had, uh, came out from the Pentagon or saying there were, they were saying, Elizondo, we don't know any Elizondo. He's never done anything. And that didn't make any sense. And so this article actually explains what was going on with that. This guy was the one that actually did that. Yeah. He said Elizondo wasn't who he said he was Yeah, or involved. He was who he said he was, but he wasn't involved to the extent that Elizondo said he was. And uh, I totally believe Elizondo's, I don't know what the the length and breadth of his experience with UAP. Um, well, in the article, research or whatever it is, but he's you know good. Well, Elizondo in the article he said that the um, he didn't keep this guy informed of this program because he um, would have been he's an, a douchebag. He's a douchebag, and he would have been an impediment yeah. to to the program. Well, he he had moral issues. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Oh, this, moral, this guy, well, integrity, he, you know, well, it, apparently we don't want to go into this sex thing, but yeah. well, apparently he liked to touch the underlings a lot. And, yeah. um, mm-hmm. no, that's not, that's, that's, yeah. yeah, I can't understand how people can be working in any business and not realize that you, you don't touch, you don't touch the underlings. So it's like, well, it's uh, not nine, 1960s over. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, know. apparently they haven't been informed. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I just can't imagine. Oh, we just, I just, I like to kiss them on the cheek when they, like, they're just, I just kiss. Well, them the, on the one cheek. girl's like, he would hug me, and then I had to turn my head because he'd always try to kiss him. Yeah, oh, this guy is horrible. Yeah, is I mean, it's just like, man. come on, come on, what year is it? Come on, Jesus. Well, uh, plus he did have relationships with at least a couple of these. Yes, underlings, but, which is not also not. We're not going to go into. Yeah, we don't need to go into that. And then, and the inspector generals do what they usually do, which is nothing. We investigated, and we can't find anything. We can't find anything wrong. Well, Um, the point is, as it relates to Elizondo, he he knew Elizondo knew about all this with the sex and the relationships, and he says, "I just don't want to be involved." Oh yeah, with him, he felt he's because he acts well. I don't know. He felt he was a security risk. Yeah. And so I would I would agree. I just have I got people that do that. Yeah, there's security risk. You're you can easily be, yeah. you know, you can have problems. And it's unfortunate that the inspector generals don't aren't the inspector generals don't do anything. They they used to. I don't even know if they used to have any any clout, but apparently these days they don't. This guy's name is Gary Reed, and I kept wondering if he was related to Harry Reed, the senator. And I couldn't find, I couldn't find, uh, the Senator has like four kids. I could only find the name of a couple of them. I didn't look that hard. I don't think he's related. One of the other things that came out recently was that 1500 page document release on ATIP and the advanced weapon program and how the money was dispersed. The $22 million was dispersed. And we talked about the, uh, one report that this money, this was the ATIP program. The money went to that. The one report about the guy saying that he had um, was investigating the the MD was investigating people that had been exposed to UFO radiation, and but then he doesn't. But the, my frustration with that, and then the article that you were reading from in the Daily Mail, the guy um, is saying, you know, green. he's he, green, green, yeah, he's green. saying he saw all these different people, and there's one, one out of ten or seven or whatever died. He doesn't give any case studies, and the two case studies he gives in his report were just, you know, some some guys that had gotten exposed to high RF, you know, radiation. And then I pulled out one article from the old NICAP um, investigations 
where this lady had encountered a UFO on her farm and she closed her eyes and she could see like uh, fireworks, which just shows you that she's getting hammered with, um, you know, either magnetic, probably intense magnetic radiation. And, uh, but that's what I wanted to see with that guy is, is uh, specific case studies tied in with, with all this other stuff. And he, and he came out and he said something, but he didn't give specifics. So I don't know. There is some flaky stuff with the ATIP money because it went to Bigelow Aerospace. They did a bunch of re- reports. And Harry Reid was really pushing to turn ATIP program into an SAP, which is, I think, a special uh, activity project or something. I don't know what SAP stands for. But that basically, once it becomes an SAP, uh, it becomes classified at a certain level and uh, its budget is sort of locked in. So I think Harry Reid was trying to, to probably working with Elizondo. Harry Reid was trying to stealth, stealth, um, politically work the system to get this UAP investigation program solidly funded within the Department of uh, the was it the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, and that was. The reports that they were talking about, they kept in that 1,500-page report, they kept talking about how uh, they were applying for this SAP level, and the DIA kept turning them down. And it's possible that this guy, Gary Reed, may have been the person that was blocking the implementation of, of ATIP becoming an SAP. And that may have led to... Um, Elizondo's resignation and this guy was pissed off for in this report for whatever reason he's pissed off because uh, what was the thing he's like he got Elizondo's letter and he's like what am I supposed to do with this so I you know I don't know. He called Elizondo to Capitol Hill he wouldn't come. Oh yeah he He said I want to talk to you come and talk to me talk to me now and Elizondo's like hey I don't work there anymore um, yeah, well, what he would, what what Reed would, what <laughs> Elizondo would do, he wouldn't involve this guy in any of his projects, like we just talked about. Yeah. But he would go. He operated with the armed services, whichever in organization, ATIP or whatever, um, above his head. He didn't even involve him in anything, which I, I think pissed him off too. Yes, and like yeah. I, I said, I don't know the um, the. Um, organizational chart for this but i think anyway i don't know um so this guy got mad at elizondo for resigning and uh then they did the the december 27th the new york times article december 2017 the new york times article came out and um this is this. I want to read a couple little sentences from this report from the debrief. He says, To their credit, the Pentagon and congressional leadership have backed up Elizondo's most extraordinary claim that devices of apparently intelligent control and unknown origin are flying in our skies with impunity. That might have been one of the reasons that this guy, Reed, got was so pissed off because he's in charge of uh, intelligence and security, is it? intelligence security okay so he's in charge of intelligence security and this shows that they don't have any intelligence or security against these devices or these craft or whatever they are so it makes him look like an idiot especially if this guy keeps going oh it's nothing there you know it's just you know it's it's crap we don't know what's you know so i don't know where this guy was coming from but if he was just this guy looks like somebody who He's a bureaucrat. He's a high-level bureaucrat. Uh, he didn't seem to. He seemed to be a bit of a douchebag. He's going to cover his ass because um, what one of the problems with with people that certain people that ride, rise to a certain level, it's not uh, the job becomes their life. So without 
the, you know, the position and all the kudos that come with the position and stuff, they, they aren't anybody. I mean, look at this guy. He's no longer with the, the DIA. He's, he'll go, he'll go work for some corporation or something. But I mean, he's a big deal. He was a big deal. And, um, now he's nobody. And he, I don't know, how do you, you know, how do you, you know, you know, for some people, this is their lives. So um, the second sentence I wanted to read was, that's it. I just want to read that one. Uh, oh, well, yeah. And then, uh, you know, he, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You were going to say something. He, well, Elis, he just basically tried to discredit Elizondo and yes. Elizondo, you know, shined him on. And then, you know, uh, Elizondo, you know, then out. After that, the TikTok, right after all this happened, the TikTok videos came out. Yes, that was a release by um, Christopher Mellon uh, with um, with Elizondo. And in 20... <laughs> Reed tried to say they were secret and they shouldn't have been released, but it turned out that they were, in fact, not... They never classified they, them. Well, and that's one of the no, issues... they never classified them. That's one of the issues with all these videos. If they didn't classify them, they could be released. So why are they... You know, we've only seen like the Tic Tac and all these other videos. We're seeing little tiny snippets. We're not seeing the whole flight profile that was involved in these these encounters. And there's a lot more videos out there. So why isn't um, why isn't the the DoD releasing these videos? Also, there was the um, those redacted reports that just came out, where they're uh, oh the the classified report. That was to the classified report that was to Congress, where they redacted the description of the the objects. And there's only there's like in one, I think it was in a uh, Range Fowler report that Chris Lato talked about. In one of the Range Fowler reports, they described one of the objects as, as circular. So it's like why in those classified report released redacted that was given to Congress, why did they hide the description of what the objects look like, their, their, their geometric shapes? So, yeah. But, yeah, this is funny. The DOD has been steadfast in claiming that uh, Elizondo had no assigned responsibilities in the, in the, the program. And what, what does that even mean? It's like, oh, he, um, oh, he just came in and would eat his lunch and leave. So, okay, well, yeah, how can you not? Ha- yeah, how can you not have any assigned responsibilities? What does that it, you know? Explain that. Um, yeah. Oh, and then Elizondo finally got tired of this guy's, you know, crap, I guess, and he filed an IG complaint in 2021. Uh, yeah. And uh, apparently that might have been... Well, I think it's a combination of things. There was uh, uh, the Afghanistan problem where apparently this guy was involved in the evacuation of um, Afghanis that were working with the U.S. government and completely screwed it up. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, you can't even, you can't even deny that. It's, just com- it's a complete, yeah. complete disaster. And so what's I going on in Afghanistan now? I mean, um, I don't know. The way it's peace. All the Taliban is overrun, and they're like the Taliban is taking. I hear they're making schools and not allowing females to attend them. Who knows what's <laughs> going on? Well, they'll have they'll they'll have schools. It'll just be female only and male only, and that's uh, yeah. Uh, who knows? I have seen no reporting out of Afghanistan. I don't. I I don't know what's going on there. But I'm am still amazingly impressed that um, five minutes after the um, U.S. left, that it just reverted back to what it was 20 years ago. It's like, how can that happen? I mean, we've been there 20 years. We've been setting up governments. We've been doing all this stuff. And then the minute, it's probably the second that we left, it just like reverted back to what it was. It's like, what? So explain yeah. that. Explain that to me. Um they don't want it. I mean, you know, we were trying know. to force. No, yeah, it's obviously we're, that we didn't do. I don't know yeah. what we were doing there. We were, we were, in our uh, our troops were. Well, we're in trying. Their to, we're, we're constantly. We're trying. We're constantly trying to impress our 
beliefs and our lifestyle upon yes. other because yes. this is the way it's you know that we go into a place like afghanistan and go, you guys can't possibly live like this i mean they're all <laughs> can't happy be, can't be happy except for the taliban you don't you know and maybe they we you, you, you know you don't have health care you don't have uh, you know all the food we have because we're all fat you know and, yeah. and they're all skinny. Why are they all skinny? They're all skinny and probably healthier than we are. Yeah, and they're eating. And, uh, they're eating. They're eating good you know, food. They got the good food over and there. And I, I, I don't want to say that they wouldn't appreciate this type of lifestyle, but you know, do they want to? Do they even want this? I mean, do we respect the fact? Do we say? Do you even want? We go into these tribes, and the Taliban, you know, works. The Taliban is all over them, taking their you know, young men and put, you know, bringing them as fighters. And we're saying that's wrong, you know, or is it? I don't know. Well, we, we and uh, that's just their culture. We, um, we have reached a point where we have a huge deficit in leadership. The people in leadership positions are not um, qualified for for their positions, and it's like this guy Reed, Gary Reed, maybe a prime example of that. Is that you have somebody who has risen to a position that's beyond his his capabilities and what happens is you you have problems uh, it's called the uh, peter principle it's like you rise to the uh, um you know you rise to your level of incompetence so i had sort of i my old uh, graduate advisor was picked to become head of nih and he declined and I had a few minutes with him on an elevator when we were um, heading over to the hospital, which was next to where the lab was. And I asked him, I said, I said, why did you turn down the, the, the job at the head, head of the NIH? And he goes, have you ever heard of the Peter principle? And I said, yeah, sort of, I don't, I'm not sure. And he goes, he goes, he goes, he goes, I have risen to the level of my, he goes, I have not risen to the level of my incompetence yet. I'm at the level where I'm competent. If I rise one more level, I will be at the level of my incompetence. And he goes, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. And that's that's the problem is that you don't have there's not a lot of people that realize that, you know, there's a point that you may not wish to step beyond as far as as promotion wise. Um, and it's very rare that that you know ninety percent of people, I mean, I probably wouldn't realize that that would that that would be the way it is. You're offered this giant gravy job. You're going to go, woohoo, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a, I think it's a very rare individual that can say, no, I should not take this job. So um, you're saying that once you get that promotion, you should, like he turned it down because he, he, did he feel that? I don't, he, I haven't he, heard of the Peter principle. He, he felt that he couldn't he, effectively do that job with yes. any level of competence. Yes, he Is that felt, what it means? he felt okay. he would have been incompetent if he'd risen to that level. He says, I am at the, the level Peter of my, principle. yeah, I'm at the level of my competency any higher. He goes, I'm going to be incompetent. He says, no. So yeah, I mean, it happens. I mean, this guy, um, he's been doing this job for a long time, but it's like you, you can be good at a lot of jobs, but then there's a certain point where you have to be good at it. And this guy apparently failed that test. The Afghanistan was a test. And his head, I think, I don't think it's, I don't think he lost his job because of Elizondo. I think he lost his job because of the problems with the Afghanistan withdrawal, his role in that, and they needed a scapegoat. So, um, overall, it's, it's, it's hopefully it's a it's a plus because they'll get someone else in there that will be better and be able to do a good job. So, who knows? Why is it called the Peter Principle? Uh, I think it's from a book. The book is called the Peter Principle, which was written probably in the fifties or sixties. Um, I think there was a I've I probably have seen the book which is why I knew the title and look at it. I don't know if there's been a movie or anything by it. So, so well, yeah, your mind automatically jumps to, you know, yes. Male genitalia. Yes, it's the, is it a male hey, genitalia? It's, it's, um, maybe it is. I mean, that, that's the, I mean, that, 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 uh, that is quite possible. That's exactly what it's referring to. So it's like, if you're, you're, you know, you're, you're jumping to the you're jumping into the big dick job and and yeah. uh you're not the big dick yeah so 
Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, that uh, that title may be exactly what it's uh, what it implies. Interesting. So I've nobody nobody is saying why this guy was uh, terminated or reassigned. Uh, the debrief reached out to public affairs to clarify if Reed had been reassigned, suspended, voluntarily resigned, or was terminated. The Department of Defense declined to comment, but apparently he's gone, and. Um, it um, may be a bonus, maybe a plus for a UAP disclosure now that this guy is gone. We'll see. Um, so, Flat Earth, Gary Reed, Elizondo, and uh, anything else we want to talk about? I could talk about a couple things with the... I guess we're never going to finish the... Um, Alfred Letting. Well, I can talk about it. Boot. I can talk about it yeah. for a few minutes. So Alfred Letting sure. was with Project Saucer, 1947 to 49. Alfred Letting was apparently the technical, I don't know, what technical expert for the project. And he has supposedly wrote the... Um, report that was access assessment of the situation or something like that which Rupelt had mentioned in his book and had read and this this is the report that went to uh, Vandenberg and Vandenberg said no and the report said that uh, flying saucers were space aliens uh, letting this this report they talk about letting and they've interviewed his kids and they've looked at his documents and they're not really clear um, about his his involvement with Project Saucer. It's a lot of speculation. Um, Letting was involved in evaluation of uh, Third Reich weapons, aircraft design. He was uh, involved in the equivalent of like the jet propulsion thing at Wright-Patterson. And let's see what else I got here. Um, which is where all the aliens where are. Where all the aliens are. Oh, I saw something about um, the 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 warehouse where things are supposed to be. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, he wrote the estimate. This, this guy's uh, Alfred Letting's son remembered the controversy surrounding the rejection of his father's estimate of the situation. Draft to General Vandenberg. And the resulting deep disappointment by his father, Donald had the impression that Alfred Letting, who had been raising a rising star at right field, officially fell from favor as a result of his personal belief that many of the flying disc sightings could represent craft of extraterrestrial origin. When he personally authored that carefully reached conclusion in the estimate draft, uh, Letting severely hurt his career was the estimate draft and summary of the project signed final report. And then the, and then this report was destroyed. And Rupelt said that he'd had an opportunity to read the report uh, before, I guess it was lost. It's a shame that this thing is destroyed. Uh, and then uh, they said that Alfred Letting, after Vandenberg's death in 1954, he again found uh, Air Force interested in his skills. He was an aeronautical engineer. Uh, returned to Dayton and Wright-Patterson by 1960s, working out of Langley Air Force Base in Virginia as the Air Force Liaison Officer to NASA. So this guy, guy was very competent and he was well-respected, and the uh, estimate of the situation that he prepared for Vandenberg really damaged his uh, career. Uh, another thing about his son, Donald, was transitioning from grade school to high school. In those years, he recalls numerous impressions from the time. One of the most stunning is a clear memory of his father talking about landing cases. Yet today, the project signed documents released through Blue Book files by the National Archives do not include any investigative paperwork or true unexplained landing incidents. Donald Howard recalls not one, but numerous trips his father made to investigate such events, including incidents in which UFOs interfered with electrical systems of automobiles. 
So let's leave it at that for Alfred Letting. This is um, basically this report is just a recapitulation of the previous report on the 1947 sightings. We're repeating a lot of that uh, with a little bit about uh, Letting's involvement, but his his involvement is very sketchy. Um, the most interesting talk, yeah. You talked about the warehouse. I mean, did you see something about where they're keeping all this stuff somewhere other than Wright-Patterson Air Force Base? Oh, um, I actually saw something. I can't remember what it was. I just saw something that mentioned um, the warehouse at Wright-Patterson. You know, it's like the, it's, it's like the, the um, warehouse 14 or whatever it is, 15 or 18 or whatever that is that they talk about that you oh, see. Hang hanger, hanger, yeah. Hanger 18. Well, we're at an hour. Okay. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Alien Probe Podcast. We welcome comments, questions, or requests to alienprobepodcast at gmail.com. Visit us on Facebook. Check out our website, alienprobe.net. That includes all of our episodes. On the we're um, we're heard on all podcast uh, platforms. You can find us just about anywhere. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Alien Probe Pod. Thanks, Doctor Bill, for joining us. Thanks, also okay. Robert, our senior producer, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right, bye bye. <laughs>